Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia shkulova I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Titana Filevska and Olena Brychenko about a collection of essays, Ukraine, Food and History, published in 2020. Titana Filevska is a creative director of the Ukrainian Institute, Ukraine's cultural diplomacy organization. She's an art manager, curator and writer. Her background is in philosophy with experience in contemporary art and Ukrainian art history of the 20th century. She's the author of the books Kazimir Malevich, Kiev period 1928-1930, Kazimir Malevich, Kiev aspect, and Dmitro Gorbachev, Slutsi. She worked in various art institutions in Ukraine. Tetyana is curating a public program of the Ukrainian pavilion at the 59th Venice Biennale dedicated to decolonization. Olena Brychenko, for her PhD dissertation, researched ethnoculture in the Kiev suburbs in the second half of the 20th, beginning of the 21st century. In 2016, Olena Brychenko co-founded Yizha Kultura, a scientific information project on important developments in the field of gastronomy that supports and promotes Ukrainian academics working in the field of food science. Olena Brychenko was the author and co-curator of the special program Kyrim about the cultural life of Crimean Tatars as part of the 6th International Festival in Kiev, Knishkovy Arsenal. Hello, Titiana. Hello, uh, Olena. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Your book um, contains a lot of beautiful pictures uh, that demonstrate uh, Ukrainian cuisine. And the first time I thought of your book was after I read one of the comments that I uh, came across in a group for sponsors for the Uniting for Ukraine program. And one of the sponsors mentioned that all sponsors have to read something on Ukrainian food because it will help them to bond with those people whom they help. And of course, these conversations about food as a tool for bonding has been around for a long time and a lot has been written on it. But I think under the current circumstances, under the circumstances of Russia's war against uh, Ukraine, um, the food as a tool for bonding acquired some new meanings. So I would like to start our conversation with um, those uh, inspirations behind the project and um, how the entire book is structured, because it was uh, written back in 2020, although it's before the full-scale invasion. However, it's after the initial uh, Russia's attack against Ukraine in 2014. Well, I, um, I think... I think I can start saying that um, maybe there were different books on um, food or about food uh, from Ukraine or Ukrainian food, but I think um, this book is one of a kind because it combines both the history behind um, <clears throat> different regional cuisines, 
um, the cuisines of ethnic minorities and of indigenous people of Ukraine, and it combines the text written by scholars um, actually explaining uh, deep cultural and anthropological ties um, uh, between food and, and uh, uh, identity of those people uh, all over Ukraine, uh, and also having this practical side with recipes and <clears throat> very contemporary ways of interpreting these recipes because, you know, we had uh, um, contemporary Ukrainian chefs who worked with the traditional recipes and um, adjusting them to contemporary products, to contemporary types of cooking. So, I mean, um, this combination, I think, is quite unique. And I think this is something that we wanted to achieve with this publication, create this, let's say, unique um, um, presentation book which looks as a, as a very beautiful publication with nice images as you as you already mentioned with very important and meaningful text about Ukraine's history and culture connecting to the food and also something that everyone can practice and ever can everyone can experience actually preparing Ukrainian food at, at their home no matter where they live in Australia in Canada or in in, in Western Europe and I think we were quite successful in achieving those goals, at least having uh, the book translated into at least three European languages uh, just a year after its first release uh, says about this this quite uh, successful story. Yeah, yes, yeah, indeed. indeed. So, I agree with Stan, but I want to describe more uh, story about uh, our photo and about our visual context uh, this book. Uh, as a publisher. Of course, as a publisher, I can say that our portfolio is uh, pretty small, but still we pay special attention to our book project. Before the photo shoot, we, together with um, our designer, Olena Stranchuk, discussed the book's color, scheme, and layout. Then I spent almost maybe one or two months looking for the right textiles and ceramics for the photo shoot. Mm -hmm. And I really uh, love to uh, speak about this story um, because uh, the visual context includes Ukrainian dishes, national ceramics, ceramics, uh, modern Ukrainian decor, diner wear, and textile. And last but not least, the mastery of Ukrainian uh, chef, chefs. So, as mentioned in the intro, um, very often Ukrainian cuisine um, was presented as something else. Uh, can we say that Ukrainian cuisine didn't really exist for a long time on the culinary map of international gastronomy? And in what ways is Ukrainian cuisine um, unique? Uh, Ukrainian cuisine has always been there and it's still there. But there was no promotion. Mm -hmm. It did not develop Ukrainian cuisine as a brand. As a result, when seven years ago, my husband, Artem Brachinko, and I, and I uh, launched uh, an independent project about Ukrainian food culture, Yezha Kultura, I had to spend a lot of time and effort to convince the MasterChef community that the Ukrainian dishes are really exciting and original them to start working within the national cooking tradition. It was, it was not the case in Ukraine for a number of reasons. Briefly, it's a result of our colonial Soviet 
past, which made um, us feel less worthy. Also, for many years, we could not shake off the feeling that Ukrainian dishes are part of the only for only of the home cooking culture, and it's something accessible to almost everybody because anyone can cook. Um, and finally, it's part of powerful myths created by Soviet propaganda machine. It said the Ukrainian cuisine, language, and traditional belong exclusively to the rural culture, and as such, they should not be celebrated. <clears throat> well, I can only add that some of the Ukrainian dishes are quite known around the world, for example, the Kiev chicken, or borscht, or varaniki, the dumplings, but they were appropriated by other cultures, or they were not identified as belonging to Ukrainian culture. So it, it happened only recently, or it starts has started happening only recently, that these dishes were kind of identified as Ukrainian. And one of the um, uh, outcomes of this is that the Kiev chicken is finally Kiev chicken. So we even had the dish renamed. And uh, I'm currently um, um, based in London, and I was fascinated to see how within a few weeks, you know, all the supermarkets uh, uh, in, in England changed this uh, title on the um, on the cover of this dish, which is very popular here in England. So, I mean, it is happening, and these uh, uh, these items, these dishes are being recognized as, as Ukrainian or having Ukrainian connection. Mm -hmm. So, would you say that um, the erasure, well, the slow visibility of uh, Ukrainian cuisine on the global map of uh, um, gastronomy somehow contributed to the low visibility of Ukrainians as a nation on the global scale? Of course, it is connected, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was um, it, it was to do with the colonial approach, well, imperial approach, let's say, colonizing approach of Russian Empire, which did everything to for Ukraine to be invisible for the international audience. Uh, so, I mean, you know, we look at food, but we can see the same thing in, in cultural field, in, in artistic field, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so, artists and artworks from Ukraine were overlooked, were misidentified, were misinterpreted in, in international collections, and Ukrainian art as such in Ukrainian history was not a subject of international academia. So, I mean, with the food, it's the same. So, it's the legacy of uh, our colonial past that we were kind of overlooked within the, 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 the empire. And, uh, of course, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2000, on, on, on the 24th of February, uh, this has become obvious uh, for everyone. One, that this uh, neo-colonial war of, of Russia can be stopped when we, we give the, uh, the credit and we give the visibility to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Olena, would you like to add anything? It's like a part of appropriation of culture, mm -hmm. uh, like a method of choice uh, practiced by any empire. National culture is simplified, generalized, mm -hmm. and uh, shaped into one narrative, which is then called Russian. There are many examples in art, in culture, and of course, uh, with gastronomy too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at different time periods, and due to a variety of historical and political circumstances, a number of Ukrainians relocated to various parts of the world. 
And while being far from their homeland, some of them didn't entirely abandon their food preferences and their culinary memory. Uh, would you talk a little about how food can help preserve cultural heritage and an individual's memory of national and ethnic background? I know that your book contains a couple of interesting examples for uh, individuals who uh, kept their memory about their homeland via um, cooking, uh, not only on individual level, but also uh, in terms of some uh, uh, business enterprises. I can I can start. I mean, I have my answer, but I'm sure Lena has, has her professional experience because I'm not a, a food specialist and not an anthropologist. But, you know, from my personal experience, food is not only about food. Food is much more. It's about being a community. It's about having um, a legacy from the, your parents, your grandparents, and giving it to your children. So when we cook something, you know, we tell stories, we communicate, we have rituals, we have certain um, certain connection to each other, and that is meaningful. I mean, um, for a few stories from my own personal experience, the the uh, area where my uh, my parents come from had a, a Czech community living nearby, and so in my family tradition, there are many. Um, um, dishes and there are many recipes that are connected to the Czech cuisine. And when I first went to uh, outside of Ukraine, it was Slovak Republic, and then we traveled to Czech. I realized I know these names, I know these recipes, I know this taste, and it because it, it was because I was I was uh, you know grown up <clears throat> uh, being acquainted with that. That was part of my identity. So and the same thing with. Uh, uh, you know, with any other type of uh, food, it it gives you the sense of belonging to a certain community. It gives you identity. It gives you identity and connection to the land where certain products grow. You know, it gives you um, connection to a certain landscape and certain climate where you know you can either grow certain tomatoes or they just don't grow you know like the watermelon or or cherries so i mean all of this has a meaning like where where you your community lives nearby the sea or nearby the river it depends on what type of fish for example you eat or you don't eat you know so i mean that kind of um um combination of all these facts and all of all of, of all of these um, products and types of uh, preparation preparing food or like rituals around it like you know are there any typical dishes that you cook for certain holidays uh, you know other types of food that women make or men make or like the whole family is 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 doing something to do to, to make it I remember when I was a kid and we wouldn't prepare Kutia, the traditional Christmas dish, you know, everyone has its own part of work. Like kids were supposed to uh, to uh, crack nuts and cut them. Uh, someone else was supposed, you know, like my, um, my uh, grandfather was always the one to crush poppy seeds for, for, for this, you know. So every member of the family had its own duty, its own, his own contribution into one dish. And that, that made you know, made a connection and made this feeling of um, 
uh, identity with a certain uh, people, with certain uh, land, with certain landscape. And uh, of course, through this experience, everyday experience, life experience of every person, this connection is maintained and kept for for generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of private <laughs> view of this thing. And after. I forgot I had a special study on the subject, but it was before war. And sometimes I really uh, forgot uh, some subject of some uh, situation before war. It's like two different parts of my life, but it's uh, true. Uh, my um, not big research focuses on the Ukrainian community in the USA, which was established after the Second World War. No, I'm pulling resources and efforts together for a small-scale study on the cooking traditions uh, practiced overseas by Ukrainians who were forced to leave the country because of the war. Borsh, Vareniki, Holovti, Sirniki, field pastry, crepes, um, and other pancakes. These are the selected few recipes very popular with Ukrainian overseas. why is that? First of all, because this is our form of identification. Uh, it's our language, and uh, this is to show who we are. Secondly, it uh, makes us feel at home, maybe. Not maybe, I'm sure it's, it's like it gives a feeling uh, home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, and uh, as you were uh, talking about the war and the experience that many Ukrainians are going through um, abroad, I was thinking about one of a one of the Polish restaurants that um, I visited a couple of months ago, and there was a corner for Ukrainian culture in that um, Polish restaurant, and I thought that it's quite an interesting way of showing support, right? Not only through some business program, but also through food as well. That there is this uh, uh, island, Ukrainian island, uh, within a um, Polish restaurant. But of course, we can also add to that this very strong solidarity on the political level as well between uh, Poland and um, uh, and Ukraine. So while being a, Pol- a restaurant for Polish cuisine, they also uh, show this support for Ukrainians as well in this in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, we're um, kind of turning, switching from the book and more into uh, now our experience of um, food uh, during the war. But I, I also can share that uh, in the UK they don't have a lot of Ukrainian food accessible. There is some but it's it's not that um, popular. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of Polish stores everywhere because there are like one million of Polish people living in the UK at the moment. So there are like plenty of stores everywhere. And I mean, I can get almost everything I use, I'm used to uh, in Ukraine from the Polish store. I mean, the te- the, the, the very similar type of vegetables, um, mil- like milk products, um, I don't know, even mushrooms, you know, it's, um, it's, it's very curious how you can be like so distant and through a neighboring culture, kind of have a touch of your own um, food culture. And it comforts, you know, being so traumatized by all of this war experience, food can comfort you, food can give you a feeling of, of, you know, of calm, of something that's kind of reminds you, not alien to you, but reminds you of your home. 
and it's it's very important. And you know, if we we're coming back to our uh, book and talking about the essence of Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian food, Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian food as Ukrainian culture is not homogenic. I mean, it's not like about ethnic Ukrainians, whatever that means. It's about the multiple identities. It's about multi-ethnicity, because we are speaking about you know the. Um, connections with Polish cuisine, with Crimean Tatar cuisine, Greek, um, uh, Bulgarian, um, you know, many types of different Jewish, of course, is a huge, important chapter in our book. And I mean, you will find both recipes that kind of uh, directly are related to that type of identity, but there are also connections, you know, something in between, something on the edge that are shared heritage and food for both cultures let's say so i mean yeah we can um we can of course be uh supported in different ways and food is one of them and um i mean having this um uh, efficient connection and uh, support from from the neighboring culture is crucial in situations like that uh, I wanted to follow up uh, on a comment made by um, Tatiana uh, <clears throat> regarding some specific spices, for instance, or specific foods that are typical of one region, while uh, in different regions we have something different. Uh, again, well, from one of my recent experiences, I came across uh, uh, a friend, right, and they are from Ukraine, but they didn't know what banush is because they are far away from that part of the world, that part of Ukraine. So maybe, um, Olena, you can talk a little bit about these specific products, specific vegetables, specific uh, uh, spices um, in different parts of Ukraine that you included in this book. Mm -hmm. Okay, I will try. Uh, but I can say that when I started researching Ukrainian cuisine, I set myself the goal of popularity rising Ukrainian gastronomic culture because it helps to develop the economy and individual mm -hmm. production uh, of unique products. I have a big dream about uh, some special shelves in the different shop, with grocery shop, with Ukrainian products like uh, brinza, shobdar, um, forest mushrooms, and uh, another Ukrainian uh, products like uh, watermelon or Odessa, Odessa's brand. And uh, also maybe I can answer about, uh, about unique uh, Ukrainian cuisine uh, because I have very good uh, like case, borscht like case. Uh, for example, uh, in this book, we have six different recipes of borscht. This recipe from different region, and also this recipe from different season, because Ukrainians still follow their own seasonal rhythm, which is reflected in the dishes cooked in the spring, summer, and during the cold winter months. And really, borscht is a wonderful example. In the spring, we make green borscht, with sorrel and spring herbs. In this, in this uh, book, we have uh, green borscht. In the summer, it's not at all surprising that Ukrainians make meatless thin borscht mm -hmm. and the dish is served cold. 
But with the coming of winter, borscht recipes include meat and the dish become thick and nutritious. Popular spring uh, recipes use fresh white cabbage, but winter borscht recipe include uh, fermented or sauerkraut cabbage. And Ukrainian traditions still say that you don't waste food and we know how to cook with fridge leftovers. Uh, we prefer home-cooked meals to commercial food products and we are absolutely convinced that we must stock up on food. Um, and the war has proved us right. We prefer homegrown vegetables and homegrown meat. Many Ukrainians grow their own vegetables, herbs and keep farm animals. We also know how to use all animals, animal parts and cooking method known as from tail to nose. And it's a part of our cooking culture. We also have a complex foraging culture. It can be done both entertainment, sorry, and for food. Ukrainians frequently dis descend on forests in search of mushrooms. Uh, in Chernigiv, Sume, Zhitome region, it was it it will be berries and nuts. It's a part of our culture. We enjoy the process, and we have the no. No how. Um, it, it, I'm glad you mentioned meatless borscht or vegetarian. <laughs> and and also we have I forgot and also we have uh, one recipe from Kherson region. It's uh, Kherson region. It's uh, borscht with uh, fish. Ah, interesting. With baked baked fish. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely unique uh, unique recipe. It's uh, but it's very popular if you. If you cook uh, this borscht, if you try, you mm -hmm. fall in love. <laughs> well, but I, I'm glad you mentioned fish borscht and meatless borscht. And it made me think about um, the ways in which uh, food can also help us subvert some stereotypes. Because when we talk about borscht, generally people expect something with meat. And it, mm -hmm. at least from my experience, many were surprised with vegetarian borscht. Or for many, vegetarian borscht is not a real borscht. But um, as you pointed out, out, uh, as you pointed out, um, there are um, uh, multiple recipes for borscht and there are multiple variations of borscht depending on a season. So um, I thought that um, it could also be used to not just introduce a culture, but also to break some stereotypes. Um, I, I would like to talk a little bit about um, Mm, culinary diplomacy. Uh, there was a fascinating uh, chapter in your book, uh, and um, the book mentions that organizers of receptions have to be aware of the local peculiarities as well that help avoid international tensions and embarrassment. So would you talk about some of the events when food was part of Ukraine's international representation? Uh, I, I think, well, this question probably is kind of outdated a little bit today because I think that's all we do right now. We do uh, uh, we, we do use food in order to, um, to make 
Ukrainian culture visible and uh, to reintegrate Ukrainian culture in the international uh, in the international uh, context. Uh, but since your book was um, published in 2020, so um, I'm wondering what made you include this part and uh, what was the uh, incentive, right, to create a separate chapter on this on this topic. Well, I, I will begin because that was our initiative and, uh, you know, food is very important in diplomacy and uh, Ukrainian Institute is responsible for cultural diplomacy. So we wanted to meet these two uh, kind of two directions in one and we wanted to connect culture and food in, in this book and diplomacy in this book, in this chapter. And we wanted to point out how important it is to know um, how food works and to be able to um, to use food as the um, um, as well I don't want to say an instrument but as, as a means for diplomacy you know because uh, you know um, it's crucial to um, to have this in your protocol and as you know many um, the, the, the receptions that usually embassies have they are representing national uh, culinary traditions national culinary um, um, approaches and it's uh, it's very important to you know also tell the story of the country and tell its um, actually potential including economical potential through food through uh, through products through um, different types of, of cooking and uh, so we decided to emphasize the importance and the necessity of this instrument and this tool and to give both our diplomats broad and also um, you know just general public who want to to work with food and to tell about Ukraine with food, some more professional instruments and for some more information on how this can be used. Uh, because, you know, when sometimes you cook something, you tell a story because of how you combine the product, how you combine the dishes. You know, you can emphasize a certain um, region. And just a few weeks ago, when the counter offensive of Ukrainian army took place and liberated Kherson from Russian occupation, I saw dozens of photographs of diplomats who are staying in Ukraine in this difficult situation. I mean, international diplomats, ambassadors of different countries with a piece of watermelon in their plate or in their hands, you know. So this piece of watermelon was a symbol, a political symbol. And that's how how di how uh, culinary diplomacy work works. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so uh, since we talked a little bit about um, uh, culinary diplomacy, uh, there was also a very um, popular, I would say, way of introducing uh, Ukrainian cuisine to the international community via uh, food uh, tourism uh, via culinary tourism unfortunately right now um, this uh, this this tourism is paused uh, but i do believe so it will be back um, on the market um, as soon as the war is over and uh, i'm wondering well and that was probably probably uh, food tourism is one of the ways that still is kind of intriguing today with all the technologies available because to try food you have to travel to the specific place although when you just want to know more about culture you can go online and you can get 
tons of information about about countries but specifically for food you have to travel probably to if you if you want if you want to try that authentic uh, cooking so uh, i'm wondering what we will have any changes in terms of um, priorities for um, culinary tourism after the war as uh, for instance tatiana just uh, pointed out this uh, example with uh, with a, with a watermelon and I would personally love to go to Kherson just for this specific reason, because of Kherson watermelons. And uh, fish borscht. <laughs> yes, and fish borscht, yes. Uh, I, would I wouldn't just uh, talk about some specific place, but um, I think naturally many foreign foreigners would want to come to Ukraine and explore the for the country. I'm also convinced that many Ukrainian women who will be coming back to Ukraine from overseas are going to insist that their new friends from Poland, from Germany, from USA, from Canada and other countries visit Ukraine. Unfortunately, our national food production infrastructure was gravely gravely damaged by the Russian invasion. Mm -hmm. we, we know it and we see it. The damage includes bombed out farms we specialized in craft cheese making, destroyed vineyards and orchards, landmines on arable land in Kherson, exactly, mm -hmm. uh, decimated livestock, shelled out Store, store, store rooms and restaurants, hijacked production equipment, and so much more. But uh, even now, if you come and even now, if you come and visit Kiev, Lviv, Chernihiv, or Odessa tomorrow or today, you will get a warm welcome and a table full of home cooked food. Ukrainian restaurants have a really warm and welcoming atmosphere. It's not only about food or some specific dishes. It's also about atmosphere. Guests are always welcome in Ukrainian cafes and restaurants. We advise is to order some borscht. If you come in, in my country in the winter months, look for some fermented vegetables like cucumbers, tomatoes, aubergines, and cabbage. Also try baked potatoes with meat or with meat and mushrooms, or mm, potato with mushrooms. Make sure you try out some court pancakes or sirniki and baked crepes with cottage cheese. In the spring, go for open ground cucumber and tomatoes. They uh, taste absolutely different. They are full of juice and flavor. Order some broth with river fish, and a traditional Ukrainian beverage called uh, Uzvar. Make sure to taste different types of Ukrainian honey. For example, like buckwheat honey, white and wild honey. Also, brace yourself for the abundance of meat dishes. We cook a lot with pork, lamb, chicken and beef. Come to Ukrainian farmer's market and look for fresh crispy salon herring, dried and smoked river fish, smoked meat, uh, smoked pear, 
and uh, special compass. Well, yeah, <laughs> you make us hungry. <laughs> I see you want to try. <laughs> well, I would like to add that you know. Um, the mobility concerns in, in contemporary world can, can, can actually touches everyone, you know. Not only people can travel, but also foods can travel and traditions can travel. So, um, I mean, despite the, the negative situation, I think there are more opportunities to eat Ukrainian food outside of Ukraine, thanks to the new restaurants, new cooks that are being um, um, in, in, in invited to work in international um, restaurants and um, also products, you know, I mean, I, I know of, of a couple of cases when Ukrainian restaurants have been opened in, in major European capitals with Ukrainian chefs using genuine Ukrainian products, Ukrainian drinks, and sometimes using traditional recipes or making their own new kind of um, uh, uh, um, contemporary uh, approaches to to in uh, interpreting Ukrainian cuisine in 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 the nowadays. So I mean, of course, the best is at home, and you know you can just pick it up from from the um, from the garden and cook it immediately, and it would taste you know the the authentic, genuine way. But uh, I think there are also um, there should be also other ways to to give a try to Ukrainian cuisine outside of Ukraine. Can I say maybe one on this sentence? Because, but we uh, must know and uh, not forget to say every time how many enterprises have suffered destruction due to Russian weapons. And our gastronomic heritage is under threat. It's absolutely true. And I can see it like... Uh, researcher. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Olena and Tatiana. And thank you so much for this project that really demonstrates how diverse in terms of culture Ukraine is and how many traditions uh, Ukraine uh, host. And I do believe that uh, this book, specifically this book with beautiful, beautiful images is very timely uh, if um, uh, we want to learn more about Ukraine, but also if we want to connect on a more profound way with those who had to leave the country or if we want to connect on a more profound way with those who travel to Ukraine. Ukraine, even for some volunteering um, uh, initiatives. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for this conversation and thank you so much for the uh, project. Thank you. Thank you for thank the conversation. Thank you so much for your questions and the conversation. Today I spoke with Tetyana Filevska and Olena Brychenko about a collection of essays, Ukraine, Food and History, published in 2020. Thank you for listening to New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. <laughs>